Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast. This week's episode is hosted by a guest who is part of the Health Promotion Practice Journal family. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the Journal of Health Promotion Practices special series of podcasts on people, power, and photo voice, the little method that could change the world. My name's Robin Evans-Agnew, and I'm a co-editor of the special issue coming up. We're totally focused on photo voice in January 2022. And for those of you new to photo voice, it's a participatory visual method where participants take and discuss photos on health promotion issues relevant to their lives and then act to change them through raising awareness, mitigation of the problems, or transformation of the policies that oppress. In advance of the publication, we wanted you to meet some of the folks behind the special issue with a brief opportunity to chat about their experiences with the method, the people they work with, and their thoughts about the roots and the frontiers of application for this method in the world of health promotion. So take it away, Bob. You're going to introduce our guests for us? That's great. I, I can tell it's another day, another podcast, but... You are still on it, Robin, and I love to do this stuff, work with you, and I love the fact you've got two great <laughs> authors, thinkers, scholars of photo voice joining us today. We've got Ed Mamory joining us from California. He's going to talk about some of his work he's doing, and we're very excited to have Michelle Teddy in the house, who's going to springboard on her work and also reflect on some of the things that overlap with Ed. I know there's a lot that we want to talk about, and Rob, we've got a couple of questions that we're really curious about digging in with these two, don't we? Right, right, because I love, I love photo voice, because when I was starting to do photo voice, people were like, how can you take photographs of something that you can't see, like asthma, right? Well, we have, we have something that you are both have in common. This is working with participants with, with, with HIV, and the title of this overall show is, I, I've called it, at least the working title is, Getting to the Show and Tell and Activism of Photo Voice, Participatory Curation and of the Photo Voice Exhibit, right? So that's really a large part of our conversation today. Ed, Ed kind of suggested that idea, but really sort of how do you broach the topic? And we'll probably start with Ed because, you know, he had the topic. How, how do you broach the topic of displaying participant work relating to a sensitive issue like, like HIV and sexuality? How, how, does, how does that work? How, does, how do we get to that, that particular moment? Okay, Ed. well, so I gave a lot of thought and when I think about the, the scope of work within this individual project, the particular project that I think Michelle and I, the topic of HIV, our particular project was with African-American men who did not identify as being gay and who had sex with men. And it was around their HIV prevention and sexual health. So when I think about their scope of work, I think that the, the, we actually had no issues around photos and their stories that were being told. And I think a lot had to do with the way that we framed the project. And one of the things is that they had a story to tell. So here were African-American men who were never really asked about their experiences. And this was the opportunity through Photo Voice to do just that, to talk about their sexual health, to talk about what was their experience as being African-American men who had sex with men. And that was a pretty empowering process for them. That's mm -hmm. the first thing. The second thing was, I think that we kept the photo voice questions and the assignment broad enough to really relate to their life experience. So it was broad enough and they were able to bring in their issues around sexuality, but they were really linked to societal kinds of issues. So, so. it's sort of like, it's sort of like the, 
the, the process itself lends itself towards that moment where you're going to show a part of your life because i think it was it, it was you had a website with with i think it was our lives or something else like that that, that, that was the photo voice yeah, project that yeah, they named yeah. our lives right. our lives yeah so that's lovely so michelle how does that how does that work for you and your population with with just you know reflection yeah okay yeah. great and then display yeah so I mean, to just back up for one second, I mean, I've been doing protoids for a little over 10 years and it's been mostly with people living with HIV and a bit with folks at risk for HIV. And then I've worked with some other groups with sort of stigmatized illnesses. So I really relate to that point that Ed made about the lack of space for people to talk about their lives and how that kind of shapes the framing of the project and how people want to share. So. I started out like way, way in a separate younger life where I was an interventionist. So I was working with people with HIV and trying to convince them to use condoms and like tell their partners yeah, they had yeah. HIV. And, you know, they, that was like kind of not relevant to their lives at all. And they really wanted to just tell their stories and tell them in creative ways. And that's what led me to PhotoWise. That's kind of exactly the point that Ed was making. So when I started doing PhotoWise projects, they were kind of grounded in what folks wanted that I could, you know, that I was experiencing. And because of that, you know, like all qualitative projects too, it was sort of like a very purposeful sampling, right? So people who would sign up for these projects were people who were interested in sharing their stories. So, you know, we can talk about the limits of that, but I feel like that's a big strength of qualitative work too, and that you're very purposeful about who you're recruiting. And yeah. they came into it wanting to exhibit. So it wasn't like Ed saying, I haven't found it as challenging to exhibit around sensitive issues, but they are sensitive issues. So <laughs> there are, there are so you, definitely- You've got to have that conversation, that right? I mean, you've got to have that conversation at some point in time with a, an image or a group of images or selecting images but what I'm hearing yes. from both of you is that the conversation begins right at that entry point, right? The people yes, it have does. something yeah. to share. I mean, yeah. Well, this kind of sounds like the conversation we had last time, Robin, where the centrality of the participants become like the experts in the room. Right. And the invitation that you give and the space that you give, it was easy for people to walk through that door and be a part of the collaborative effort to generate data, generate voice, generate ideas. It's a whole new way of interacting with the collection of data and the purposefulness of getting it displayed for other people to see. So but are they, are they, but they're not, but they're not experts in display or exhibition, right? No, that, right. So that's where you come in. No. That, yeah. And I, and I do think, you know, to, there are these limits, right. That you also need to talk about from the beginning. So the realities, right. And this is kind of what we all face with community-based participatory research, but the IRB, it's there to protect everybody, but there's also limits. In my case, my IRB is always making rules around, like they don't want anything in the exhibition from minors, you know? So that's mm -hmm. just something that I need to be upfront about right away. Right. When it comes to other people in photographs, we could go on about that, but there's all kinds of discussions you have with participants and there can be limits on that. I set up additional limits with the group around things that are illegal, basically around safety. You know, I don't mm -hmm. want to be displaying pictures where you're shown doing illegal things. You're shown doing things like half off the like Grand Canyon where you're going to fall over yourself or something right. like, you know, so I set up initial limits around safety that kind of come from broader 
you know, the institutions, the IRB, and just the ideas of protecting people. So they do shape also what can or can't be in exhibit. Have you, have you found that to be a struggle? I mean, in your work, Ed, did you find that people wanted to show things that you felt like really shouldn't be shown? Or was that sort of so participant driven by them? Make those okay. decisions. Yeah, so, so in the African-American studies, so this one man, he wanted to talk about the joy of life and family and how the joy of life and family is really protective of, of his health. And so he has a picture of his son and it's like a really poignant you know, talk about his son and how wonderful his son is and it's in the neighborhood. And so he actually showed the picture of his son. And so we actually talked about, so what do we do? So with the IRB that we have, they're anonymous. And so we decided that we would actually show the picture of his son, but the face was blurred. So okay. to protect the anonymity of that picture. And he was happy to do that. So we wanted to be able to be able to present that photo because that's what was really important, not only to him, but to the whole group. So that was one situation that we had. That's how you navigated that, that decision point. That's how we navigated that decision point. Yeah, and I think that that brings up a great point around exhibitions. They are a sort of push and pull and discussion because there is some navigation. And I have also found participants really open to that navigation. So, you know, when I say, I don't, we're not going to be able to show you doing illegal activities because I want to, we need to protect you. We need to have some boundaries. And people say, well, illegal drug use was a, a totally important part of my HIV experience. Then how do I show it? you know and then we go back and forth and talk about it and i've had people take pictures of a place where they overdosed for example and that was a way for them to talk about it that removed them from the picture this is what i love I had... this is why i'm so glad you're here michelle because this is <laughs> I had a line of photo voice right it's not are you, you, are like you taking kid? a picture of your lived reality or are you taking a picture of a metaphor right of of right. your work because of because of some of the strictures that IRB have put in, but also right. the, 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 the respect, the safety requirements yeah. of, of the sort of exhibition. And to find the space to well, re represent we, that I, voice. Yeah, yeah. I, I give another example that there was a woman who wanted to, you know, because I always have brainstorm discussions too around like, what, what do you think you're going to take? Because I've learned that that's the way you find out these kind of sticky points, right? So a woman came forward and said, I, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to take. I'm going to take a picture of the person who infected me. And I'm going to put these like around town because this is a way for me to kind of advocate, right? Like you got to watch out for this person, you know? Oh my God. And it was like, okay, you know, like that's super powerful, but mm -hmm. you know, Hey, like, is that safe? You know, I mean, I started with, is it safe for you? Like, you know, because oh, okay, yeah. we see that they're going to get potentially really angry. And I don't feel like that's something that's safe, you know? So she was on board and instead she took a picture of a stack of letters from their kind of lengthy court battle. I don't know if you guys experience this in your States, but in Missouri, it comes up a lot that people can be held, you know, legally responsible if they infect someone else. And it's something that happens a lot in Missouri. So she did kind of hold him accountable legally for infecting her. And she took a picture of the stack of the legal letters. So again, we, we kind of came up with, a so the story is still there, right? And it's still really powerful, but it just wasn't safe for her to mm -hmm. take a picture mm -hmm. of him, let alone the ethics of like putting him out there. So, so did you make yeah. decisions about 
or did your participants make decisions about what images had an identity to them? Not, not the, the person in the photo, but the person taking the photo. Did you make decisions as groups when you had displays for those that were uh, labeled the photographer and the voice that they had, had wanted to express or those that were anonymous? Ed, do you want to talk about that first? So, so, so Bob, I, I, I'm trying to follow. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was the question? Do you mean identity around, I think, I, I, identity around like disclosing themselves as people with HIV? That's what or I Or identity about who actually took uh, the photos. So, so, so it was actually a mix of participants. Some, you know, so ours wasn't, ours was not a group of people who were infected with HIV. It was African-American men who actually were having, who were non-gay identified who were having sex with men. Mm -hmm. So, and what was their HIV prevention? And so some of them may have been HIV infected and some of them may not have been. So we talked about that. So it was completely anonymous. So that was like the, the important part that we had to kind of preserve around disclosure and around identity. And so the only photo that was really the issue was the one with the sun. It's a really interesting idea, though, this whole notion, because photo voice is sort of grounded in this idea of identity and 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 and, you know, building a sort of social consciousness around that. And yet, because of those safety issues, some of that some of the participants kind of get confused in terms of the expectations uh, when they're coming out. We've, we've just got a couple more minutes left, but I'm wondering whether you can both talk a little bit about managing those expectations of participants for really, you know, the social change piece, right? How, how you bring people in and you say, we're going to do this exhibit and amazing things are going to happen. You probably don't say that, but you know, how, how do you manage that? How, how uh, do you... Michelle, I'll just go first because I just want to just piggyback on what I had just said about the interesting concept of identity and disclosure. So for other photo voice projects that I've been involved in around prejudice and discrimination, so we did a project, uh, photo voice project on Islamophobia, and we also did one on anti-Semitism, and we actually followed the same kinds of guide, guides around, they were anonymous, so we go ahead and that was like, we were like kind of forward thinking about that, they signed the consent forms, we go ahead and do both projects. And within that, as we know how empowering Photo Voice is, it was like such an extraordinary project that I actually went back to our IRB and asked, can we change our mind? They want to identify themselves now because they were so proud of the, of the yeah. scope of work. And, I, and of course they said, no, you can't go back. And so it's some, that's, for me, that's a very interesting discussion around the issues of safety and issues of, of, of what we're doing here. And it's kind of ownership too, right? You know, I always yeah. think about Wendy Ewald and, and, and bringing, you know, getting, getting those kids to take photographs and totally for sort of like art's sake, but at the same time, having a great sense of ownership with the photographs. How do you know? So, 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 so it's the ethical, so the other good thing is, and this is like, I'm sure with many of our projects, we have advisory boards. And so community yeah. advisory boards, and we bring it back to the advisory boards. And so it's not just like our own, not just the participants, not just the researcher, but it's also the advisory. So what do we do here? Here's the situation. So how do we protect you know, people? How do, we, how do we go about doing this? And so that's, I think, what was really important for us to be able to do. So that was really interesting for me because you know, when you think about it, you know, we're having public exhibits on prejudice and, and discrimination around Islamophobia you have to kind of be thinking about safety issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, 
I totally agree that like for me doing this work, the surprise was that in some ways a surprise, I mean, not anymore, but at first that people want it to be identified because we're so focused as academics and, you know, protecting right. them and the pseudonym and the IRB. And they're yeah. like, I want credit for my picture. And I want to go on to Oprah with my picture and I want yes. to sell my pictures right. and I want them all over the pharmacy downstairs. And I, and I'm like, okay, okay. Like it's just, it's hard because then you have to sort of explain like, okay, I'm coming from this background. You're coming from this background. And I do try to meet in the middle. So what I did, maybe this will work for you guys. I'm excited to tell you, cause maybe it will, but I, for my publications, I have to use, you know, like fake name pseudonyms, but for exhibits, the participants are allowed to choose. So we kind of split the difference and Meyerby was okay with that. And then participants got to choose in their kind of public exhibits if they wanted to remain anonymous or not. And in my publications, I told them, oh, it's this like weird academic thing we do. We have to have the pseudonyms, you know, sorry to like separate you from it, but that's what we have to do. Okay. So saying that up front, I think helps with some of the expectations, but you also asked about expectations around change. I mean, I, Oh, this could be like a whole other podcast, right? But like, I totally respect the intent of photo voice to be this vehicle of social change. But I also realize that that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different audiences. So, you know, together as we start to form the project and in the very first meeting, we talk about what that final exhibit will look like. You know, and for example, one project I did was simply about kind of sharing with stakeholders like providers, the sort of more intimate lives of women living with HIV so they understood their barriers. And that was like the bigger kind of oomph, right? But then individually different things would happen. Like I had one woman take a picture of her, like a refrigerator that she had to drag out of a dumpster to put in her own apartment that wasn't fully working. And as a result of the exhibit, like someone funded, someone got her a new refrigerator, exactly. you know? So like it was individual, but it was like part of this overall piece. I had somebody take pictures of this really like violent area of their neighborhood that was hidden by these broken down buildings and she wound up getting other people to go with her and clean it up so it's like it's not like an entire social movement forms but these little things happen in the overall context of a broad goal of moving forward so to me those things are still important as much as like say changing a law would be you know because I just recognize that it moves slowly so but those are all incrementals those are every one of those things are things to celebrate Right. They're incremental steps to changes of people's thinking. Every right. one of those providers that learned from your participants and the photos are now embedded with this yeah. vision and statement and image that somebody brought to their attention. And it could be changing their nature of their behavior right now. And so we yeah. don't, it's hard to measure these things. It's and that's so one hard. Of the challenge that's of our field. Yes. If you're pointing <laughs> out all these yeah. things that are part of what we want to continue to discover and expand because the method has so much potential, is doing so much good, and the things that you guys are both talking about is exactly what we want to celebrate and 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 talk more about, right? Right, Robin? I love that. I love that, Bob. And we we've got to close. Michelle's got to run. Ed's got to save San Francisco. But I do think it's this. I do think it's these small changes, right? So Ed Ed talked about that that shift that he did with the photo of the kid, right, and blurring out the thing. And you talked about the shift that you were able to negotiate with having the having the having the participants name or not be on the photograph right so those those tiny incremental changes in terms of how we how how participants show their identity and claim their space and also the, it spreads out 
to these other changes around the neighborhood. I'm desperate, Bob, at some point in time, we've got to talk about what's happening in the sort of private photo voice sphere in terms of exhibitions and stuff like that outside of the research. But this has just been a terrific conversation with the two of you. Ed, thank you so much. Thanks for bringing, for bringing the idea to here. And Michelle, thanks for being game with talking about it. And I'm totally excited to see, hopefully we'll see some HIV ones in this new photo voice series. So we'll, we'll get a chance to uh, read and see some more expansion. Thank you very Great, much. Thanks. We Bye. are done. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, you too. So I was thinking like in the, in, the, in the work you've done with boys and girls clubs and stuff like that, for my stuff with youth, I've always had the kids stand next to their pictures, right? So they sort of own their pictures in that way. I, I never even, well, I mean, I think I, I wrote wanted. it inside my IRB, like, the kids are going to stand next to the photos that they took, right? But it's not, it's not, it's a different kind of a topic, asthma compared to HIV. So that's maybe what I wanted to kind of, of explore issue. with, I wanted to explore with Ed and with Michelle was, you know, there's different ways of carrying out the photo voice project. And of course, sometimes there's different aims for the initiative. And, you know, you, you, you both talked about some of the sensitive natures of the topics and but you also both expressed the willingness and eagerness of the participants to have their voice heard. So in the sensitive projects you've done, I mean, Michelle had to go, but did you have public ex exhibits for some of these things? Oh yeah, these uh, and, so, and so and that was part of what, you know, the group agreements around where we would exhibit and that's part of their ownership too, about where we would exhibit. And so we had public library exhibits for the, African-American project, we were committed to doing one in the community. And so we did it in West Oakland in a community um, setting. So that brought a lot of, you know, the other interesting thing that we should be talking about, here I am, a non-African-American doing African-American HIV work. And I was really, and it was a student who brought the project to me and she wanted me to, you know, be part of this whole project. And what was interesting about this is that talk about university kind of technicalities. They refused initially to have her be co-PI. And I was really uncomfortable being, not having her be co-PI mm -hmm. because she, it was her idea. She's African-American and I wanted a co-PI to be represented. So this was a really good trick. And with my university, I told them, I said, okay, well, thank you. We're not going to apply for the grant then. And they came back the very next day and came up with a way of how we could have her be co-PI. So that's another whole issue about working with communities that we're not a part of, which was different mm -hmm. from the other projects I've been on. You know, so the Islamophobia one, I'm Arab American. That was like an incredible one. I think, Bob, in answer to your other, you know, to, to a broader question is group agreements are so important, I think, in this. And yeah. with all of my photo voice projects is like really setting the stage of going forward right from that very first session about so what are we doing here and so what are the expectations and what should we do and so and that became so critical for the discrimination projects that we did and prejudice ones so we wanted to make sure and the group wanted to make sure that that their photo voice project was not going it was about being being the recipients of hate, but they did not want their project to incite hate. And so they had to be, there had to be a group agreements around selection of photos and which photos to use around that. That I was really, really that's, important. 
Yeah, that's a key part of that sort of that, that community building, that stage setting. I mean, we, we typically will do what we call photo voice contracts at the beginning, which is around how we're gonna engage with each other, the confidence and respect that we have with right. each other, our commitment to the greater good of what we're trying to do together. And it's always easier to do it with an existing group, you know, versus a newly formed group. You should do it with both regardless. But that sets that tone where there's a collegiality that people want to express and protect and elevate yeah. the concerns, right? And that's that's what makes it so fun and, and powerful. Yeah, I like I like the idea of digging deeper into that group process that happens, right? We sort of assume there's some facilitation. We we have, you know, meeting one, meeting two, meeting three, meeting four. You you read it oh, all the time that right. people are going through this, but but like what what exactly is kind of going on inside that group process, right? Yeah. Aside from yeah. just the icebreaker and the agendas that sometimes get published. Like what how do you actually manage that? And that and that and that's a nuanced idea too, Ed, to have to have going on in that like oh we're going to produce that we're going to have this big show or we're going to do an exhibit and and what do we really what do we how do we get to an agreement collectively about what we want to say so i, I think that comes up inside the photo voice process but i'm just not sure how it's managed right. or or you know it, de it depends on a facilitator's skill i i i, I leaned heavily on africa because i was working with african-american kids so i i leaned heavily along and I split them up boys and girls because they were all teenagers and so I got I got a guy from the local gym who was you know just a great youth youth facilitator for the for the boys and a, and, a, and a woman from the community center right who again African-American great with girls and so they really became my faith yeah yeah it was sort of like they're going to interpret the what's going on in the room for me but they're also going to be that they, they're going to be the, the person who is beginning to kind of help push and shape stuff as well as, as, as sort of like the older person in the room with the teenagers. And, and I've never really talked about it, but it was sort of like, it, was, it became a really sort of an important fundamental teamwork part. These people weren't co-PIs, but they were pretty much inside that room, the people running the way it went and one time they put it down they said i just can't do these showed questions is it okay i just make up my regular questions and i'm like oh okay well but yeah but so long as you get to the you know the social disparities and the other things that we need to talk about you know but i that was very very informative for me well yeah. the other thing too is about how 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 the the groups are actually formed so like so for example for the islamophobia project you know, I'm a group person. I've done psychodrama. I oh, yeah. process. Okay. I do community planning. I know group process really well. I feel very confident in doing that. And so when we were actually thinking about this project, I was thinking the, you had to be really thoughtful about the composition of the group. And so I actually wanted to be an all Arab group. And the Human Rights Commission said, no, you can't do that. It has to be representative of all of the groups. And why are you so insisting that it has to be all Arab. And I said, so there's such diversity within the Arab community. And I, and I actually turned it around. I said, so we're, what's, what's your family heritage? And his was Asian Indian. And I said, so well, think about you asking your grandparents to come into a group and for them to share intimate life stories about their life experiences. Mm -hmm. Who do you think they're going to feel comfortable in sharing those stories with? It's going to be people like themselves. So what was interesting about this project is that we had to include Sikh Indians, 
Muslims, we wanted to include Christian Arabs, non-Christian Arabs. It was like the whole group. And wow. to tell you the truth, how do you do that? That was my dilemma as the principal investigator. How do we, how do I do that? And so we negotiated that 9-11 would be the superordinate goal, which would bring all of these people together because they had that common experience. So you created that theme, that connection. And it worked. It totally worked. And, and yeah. guess what? The project is better because of that push against my original oh, okay. thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The project is better now because of yeah. that. But, but you forced, it forced us to accommodate how, we, how do we go about doing this. But you gave it some thought to figure out how do we connect as humans? What's our and, common, and it was what's not, our common and it, human experience mm -hmm. that we're going to amplify for others? And, and that became part of the recruitment since 9-11 nice. had yeah, experienced discrimination and prejudice. And come, let's come and let's talk about it. And that's beautiful. what came. And, and, and the group was so cohesive and it just worked like magic. It was incredible. Fantastic. So. That well, is. great, you guys. This is, I think this is good. Oh my gosh. Add on, on the second part here, we typically, you know, you can kind of be a little more loose. And on the first podcast, I, <laughs> I told the story about how I made you walk around the bars in DC telling a grasshopper joke. Can you tell <laughs> it to us? I don't remember my grasshopper. Oh, I do know. Uh, the Bob joke. Oh, okay. Well, you want me to tell the joke? Yeah. So uh, can we turn off the recording? No, no, no. This is part of it. You got it. I'll say a grasshopper walks into the bar. You remember that joke? Of course. Right? Okay, so a grasshopper, okay, grasshopper walks into the bar and the bartender looks at him and he says, you know, he goes, welcome to, to our bar and we actually have a, a drink named after you. And the grasshopper goes, really? You have a drink named after me? And he goes, yeah, we have a, we have a drink named after you. And the grasshopper goes, why in the world would you name a drink Bob? <laughs> ah, good deal very nice very nice like it thanks bob it's been fun knowing you thank for all these you years and i'm so glad that we're circling back on this topic and the things that we're doing and i'm glad you're part of the special issue and it's just it's just it's just fun having these conversations with people i respect and love so Oh, great. And for me, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun meeting people behind the papers that I've read and to, to see them. So why did, oh, another question I had for you, Ed, is that website's no longer available. The, the, we, the, 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 from the African-American men. Oh, it should be. I just, you know, that's the other thing. It's so interesting. That's like 15 years ago. Yeah. And I, I still support that website. So okay. it should it should be available. Oh, I sort of, I, well, I tried it from the, from the, from the journal article. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I put it in something wrong, but, um, but it is one of those sorts of things. It's like, when does that, when does that end? And where's uh, that commitment lie in terms of keeping that image out Like there? you're able to do it. So just do our life's photos and it comes okay. up. Okay. And, and that is actually a really big issue with community-based participatory stuff. It doesn't stop after the grant. Year, no, right? no, exactly. So how do you sustain that? And so, yeah. I, so I've been sustaining this for 15 years. So technologically, I can't get into that website anymore, but it's out there for people yeah. to see. But at least I support it still. Right on. Thank you, Ed. See you later. Thanks, Bob. You're great. You Super oh, duper. Okay. This ends Bye. our recording. Thank you for listening to this week's episode from the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know. 
You can find more from us on our website, social media, Sophie, and Sage. And you can find all of these links in the podcast description. Take care.